Well, hello from Maui, Hawaii, and welcome to this week's Ageless Wisdom Mystery School. My name is Michael Benner, and it's a pleasure to be with you. We meet here live every Sunday afternoon at 1 o'clock West Coast time, 4 o'clock in East. In the summer, that's 20 hours GMT. In the wintertime, 21 hours GMT. And all of our programs, of course, are available by replay as well. So whether you're listening live today or listening to the replay, we're happy to have you with us. And um, if you are listening live, I'll remind you to use the submission box on the web page in front of you. Telephone callers will not be able to do this, but if you're listening live on the web, you'll see down at the bottom of the page a little area where you can put questions and comments Write your name, or at least your first name, and the city where you find yourself today, and hit the submit button, and we'll go to your comments, to your questions, a little bit later in the, in the class today. So we're going to talk about the nature of reality. Reality is perception, and use the idea of the holodeck from the Star Trek series, Next Generation, and I believe there were also some Star Trek films, feature films, uh, that, uh, well, feature films that featured, <laughs> I'm trying to do a rewrite, uh, that featured the cast of that second Star Trek series, uh, Picard and Troy and, and the whole crew and the whole idea of the holodeck, uh, was in the, uh, couple of the Star Trek movies, I think, as well as the TV series. And also the Matrix, which uh, we know from two or three editions. I understand the high-def Blu-ray version of the Matrix is being released this month. So <clears throat> they're very important stories. In fact, I'd like to weave in a little bit of Oz and Dorothy's experience and a little bit of Wonderland, where Alice found herself after going down the rabbit hole and talk about all four of these as altered states of reality and hopefully touch a little bit today on, as, as I've already indicated, reality as perception, subjective reality, um, and, and really asking the question, is there anything objective about reality at all? So um, that's our mission for the day today if you choose to accept it so thanks for being with us i loved these films and i hope you did too the matrix series um and of course i've always been a star trek fan going back to the 1960s when i was still in high school and, uh, star trek was on television i've <clears throat> never been uh, one to get caught up in the uh, going to the conventions or, or dressing up like one of the characters. I've never gone quite that far. But I really love the whole uh, science fiction genre. Uh, I think of it as future fiction, having more to do with the future and what we're capable of doing and having and being, not only in science and technology, but in terms of philosophy and the humanities. Um, in many ways, Human beings have just scratched the surface 
of what we're truly capable of accomplishing. To date, our dreams are largely material. The so-called American dream, for example, is largely a dream of material success. Um, I, I would very much like to see the day in my lifetime where something called the American dream or the global dream, the, the dream of humanity, <clears throat> is, is to be of ever greater service to each other, to help each other, uh, to love more deeply, uh, to care, uh, to be kind and compassionate. Uh, simply said, I think that's what it comes down to. I wrote a newsletter this week to a few friends, and not a newsletter, but an email to a few friends about the aloha spirit here in Hawaii, as I've discovered that aloha is more than just a word that means hello, goodbye, and I love you. Uh, it certainly means that, but it's so much more. The aloha spirit is part of the um, Huna tradition, which is a mystical, shamanic uh, worldview of the one life as an energy or a spirit extending itself into form, and that the Aloha spirit, which is even in the state constitution, <laughs> were, uh, I won't say required by law, but encouraged by state law to be practitioners of the Aloha spirit, that is to see the divine or the one life in all things to the exclusion of no thing. And further, the Aloha spirit is really an alignment of body, mind, and soul that is about being good and being kind and being loving and compassionate. Um, so the Hawaiian would say goodness, the Tibetan would say loving kindness, um, the Tibetan Buddhist that is, but it's essentially uh, the same thing. The idea that uh, Western people have a bit of a problem with, and that's that, uh, and I think it's a problem only because we haven't been exposed to it that much, that whatever we see as God or the Most High or the essence of divinity is not limited to a personification because as soon as you start thinking of God as a human being or a divine being in the shape of a human being in the form of a human, then the problem that we immediately get with this kind of Western religious Judeo-Christian uh, Muslim view is that this one divine source is somehow separated uh, from its creation. It separates the creator and the creation. Hopefully what, what we're going to talk about today is bringing that together into a worldview or a universal view, universe, one verse, a more harmonious, if not united view of no separation. All right. Um, there is an argument that goes back to time out of mind that if something existed 
outside of what in the West is called God. All right? The Jews call Yahweh or Jehovah the name of God. Christians claim Jesus is the Son of God, but still God. And, of course, the Muslim view is there is but one God, but Allah is his name. So <clears throat> Yahweh would be a false god. Um, you know, my God, not your God, that kind of stuff. Um, the problem is, and this riddle really begs the question, well, if something exists outside of God, something exists that is not created by God or of God, then what kind of God is it? What kind of God is it that rules over or has created some portion of the universe but not the rest of it? Then maybe it's not a universe, how united or one uni could it be. And what am I talking about? Well, evil, for example, or even illness. Uh, to suggest to most Western people, whether they're, you know, Christians, Jews, Muslims, or even somewhat agnostic, that that the illness process, that disease is of God, uh, is a, a very, very big challenge for them. You know, that God created cancer, for example. Now, that's a very crude way to say it. Or that God created any other virus or disease. God created malaria, you know. Or God created uh, liver blindness. Uh, uh, God created evil. Why does God tolerate evil? That's even... Uh, a more common challenge that's put out there and religious people get freaked out by that as if God can only be good and pure and one side of the good versus evil continuum right? that God is not great enough to include evil or the shadow uh, that God is not great, uh, great enough to include the absence of God you see uh is a challenge, more to the religious person than to the philosopher. Uh, it's one of the things I like about philosophy, a pure search for truth, wherever you find it, allows you to let go of the more dogmatic or crystallized views, take a breath and a step back, and say, well, I can imagine that God would create or tolerate evil uh, or illness. And this idea of the devil, is the devil inside of God? This Again, personification, we like to personify, don't we? Uh, turn a state or a condition into an individual. So now we've got Satan, right, modeled on a fallen angel named Lucifer, but moreover on a demigod from the Greco-Roman pantheon uh, of Pan. You know, Pan with the half-man, half-goat, and the little flute, the pipes that he would play as a celebration of, of life, of the divine being in all of nature. Well, that was used by the medieval church uh, as a model for 
the epitome of that which is not God, the antithesis or opposite of God. Um, funny that that the word evil and the word devil are both anagrams for live and lived. And uh, that merits some pondering as well, playing around with words and turning them around for uh, that's been done uh, throughout history. So <clears throat> when we when we take a more philosophical view of the larger life, the bigger picture, what I think the holodeck and the matrix, which is our theme for the day today, really force us to do is take a look at ourselves as participants, uh, the prime mover even, in the subjective perception of reality. And this idea that whatever you think of as an external separated God and all of the problems that that creates, some of which I've just hinted at, one of the biggest is you then, as a participant in life, being an effect of this divine cause. That's a rather powerless position to find yourself in, and leaves most of us thinking of ourselves as effects of life, as targets or helpless victims of a reality that is being done to us and coming at us. Now, there certainly are individuals and organizations within society in our current day, and probably always have been, that promote this idea of separateness and powerlessness and victimization. We're from the government, trust us. <laughs> you know, uh, it's funny we put in God we trust on our money because what we're really saying is in money I trust when in fact it's just a piece of paper with some ink on it. Um, <clears throat> you know, reality is such a malleable thing. If you just go out in the street and shoot somebody at random, somebody you've never met, it's very likely that uh, you'll go to prison and uh, maybe even be killed by the state in so-called capital punishment. But if you're dressed up in a uniform, they give you medals for shooting at people and killing people that you've never even met. And this is a mind-boggling reality for many of us. But for others, they take it in stride. They seem to have no problem distinguishing between murder as an institution in the military and calling it war, or the state committing murder as capital punishment and calling it justice versus you just going out in the street and shooting somebody that you don't like because of the way they looked at you, and that's called crime. Uh, from a philosophical point of view, you know, you have to take a deep breath and relax and step back a step or two and say, well, isn't this all the same thing, the taking of human life? Where is that picture? And if that is not occurring to me, if that's not obvious, then I'm very selective in my consciousness. You know, 
Selective consciousness is a fascinating topic. The idea, again, that like the holodeck or the matrix, we're making up reality. It's being invented and assembled inside our heads. And that because we're not conscious of it, others can manipulate the reality in such a way that we have this consensus about life is the way it is and there's nothing you can do about it. Well, I'm sorry, once you understand that perception is reality, uh, there's a lot you can do about it. So let's talk for just a minute about selective consciousness and see if you can imagine the scenario that I'm going to describe here. Let's say that you and I are going to go to a, um, oh, it could be like a, a, a chamber of commerce mixer, a business alliance meeting. Um, it could be a house party. All right. Let's say you and I are going to a house party or a uh, chamber of commerce mixer. And we arrive uh, a little late, fashionably late. And so there's a small group of people already assembled in the room when we walk in. You and I can stand at the doorway, walking into this room that's filled with people. Say there's 40, 50, 60 people in this room. And without moving, simply by standing in one spot and manipulating our consciousness, we can listen to a conversation between three or four people on the other side of the room, almost to the exclusion of every other conversation in the room. You'll hear a general buzz, a general din, or background noise, but you're still able to focus on the conversation of this one small group on the other side of the room, especially if you find it intriguing or of interest. However, you can just as easily, without any training or having developed any particular skill, shift your attention. You don't have to move your eyeballs. You could do this with your eyes closed. You don't have to turn your head. You don't have to step forward or back and move your body. Simply with an act of will, you can turn your attention to another small group of two or three people having a discussion in this room of 50 or 60 people and listen to their conversation pretty much to the exclusion of everyone else in the room. And then you could do that a third time and a fourth time, and I suggest you probably would. You know, you show up at a house party or a mixer of some sort, and that's what you do. You sort of check it out. Right? And you may move through the crowd as you do this, or you may, <laughs> you may head right for the bar, I don't know, but you don't need to. You could find one place in the most remote corner of the room that, that, that you want to go into or stand in the center of the room, <clears throat> excuse me, you still have this capacity that I'll call selective consciousness, selective awareness, that allows you to focus on a subset of the larger reality pretty much to the exclusion of everything else. Well, folks, that's what consciousness does 
naturally is include and exclude. It creates limited sets of awareness because you couldn't deal with everything. You, if, if your awareness was wide open, it'd be much more information than you can handle. Certainly there have been, uh, accounts written of the altered state of psychedelic experience, whether it's LSD or psilocybin or mescaline or ayahuasca. There are these chemical compounds, most of them organic and occurring naturally, like the mushroom, the rye ergot or fungus, uh, the, um, the peyote, um, uh, and, and the ayahuasca root, naturally occurring chemicals that that bind with receptor sites in the brain and unblock the filter, that open the filter that is consciousness. And people have, who have experimented with psychedelics in <clears throat> I don't hesitate to admit that that includes me back in the 60s as a as a, <laughs> a baby boomer and a child of the 60s. Uh, you, you have, well, the Beatles may have said it best, it's all too much. It's just, what, the love that's shining all around you, it's all too much. Too much information, right? You overload on it. And hence we get the term, I'm tripping, or you're tripping, that's just, too much information. So we develop this skill that we're born with. Yes, it's innate, but we, we develop it further. This ability to focus our concentration, to be selective in what we look at. And what the holodeck and the matrix suggests among many other things, but the point I want to make, and this goes for Alice in Wonderland and for Dorothy and her experience in Oz as well. What we have here is an understanding that you're inventing your reality, your perception of reality is being invented by you. That reality, what you see, what you experience with your other physical senses, what you hear and taste and touch and smell, what you're aware of even with the so-called sixth sense, your intuition, is a matter of what you choose to put your attention on. Now, that choice is not happening at a very high or conscious level. We're not really aware that we're choosing to perceive some things to the exclusion of other things. And that's part of the overall conundrum of all of this. I mean, if we go to the holodeck from the Star Trek series, as cool as that was, there is a suggestion that if two of us go on to the holodeck, that like physical reality itself, we are having a similar experience. What What is also suggested, however, if you go a little bit deeper, and I think the Matrix brings this out also, is that What these altered states represent are unique and personal views of reality. So 
to develop the idea if if to if you program the holodeck for a certain experience and I go into the holodeck with you am I really going to have the same experience as you because you programmed the experience you programmed the reality and I would say well for the purposes of the TV show yeah but only in the same way that you and I think we're having a similar experience out here in the world, in this reality. As if we sat side by side on the same park bench and watched people walk by and watched the pigeons and the ducks and the, and the squirrels and the trees that we'd be seeing the same thing. Or if the two of us sat side by side in a symphony or on the beach in Santa Monica watching the sun go down, the idea that we're watching the same thing is pretty ridiculous on the surface. I mean, how could it possibly be that we're having the same experience? I mean, let's go with the sunset on the beach. You're looking at uh, maybe the point where the sky and the sea merge where that that line the so-called horizon and the way the sun is dipping below the horizon while i'm sitting right next to you ostensibly looking at the same sunset and yet i'm much more fascinated by the way in which the clouds are illuminated and and the different shades or hues of color uh, that are caused by the setting sun Somebody else might be looking straight up. Somebody else might turn and watch the sunset by looking east. And the way the clouds in the east are illumined, you can say, well, they're not looking at the sunset. Well, yeah, they are, you know, really. <clears throat> and uh, so it is with life. To go back to the symphony, uh, I'm listening to the strings, to the violins, uh, taking the lead and stating this theme. You might be listening to the way the cello and the bass repeats the theme and the way all of that is woven in. To be able to listen to music both critically and analytically and yet to die to the music, to surrender and allow yourself to be carried away by the music, these are choices that are available to conscious, sentient people but are almost never described, discussed, or, or, or talked about in any way at all. The fact that reality is a perception is still mocked by people who should know better. The argument that there is an objective reality, I will concede if at the same time we concede that there is a larger subjective reality, or even a smaller subjective reality. I won't even argue which <laughs> which is bigger and which is smaller, which is more important and which is less important. Suffice to say, reality with a capital R has both its objective and subjective qualities. And personally, I I would argue that the subjective is so all-encompassing as to include the objective. That's my point of view. I think what we call objective reality is just a series of agreements. We say, <clears throat> this is blue, and this is green, 
but this color is somewhere in the middle. We'll call it uh, aquamarine or blue-green. And you say, well, it's not blue-green, it's green-blue. And, well, okay, fine. You know, turns out men will see that color differently than women. And within a particular gender, uh, we all have a, a different view, right? Uh, painting, especially abstract painting, uh, somebody said, oh, I love this. Look at the use of color and, and uh, the, 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 uh, the dynamics of this, the flow of this, the shapes and the form. And somebody else says, you find this attractive? I think it sucks. That's the ugliest painting I've ever seen. Well, we'll just have to agree to disagree then. Well, wait a minute. How about agreeing that we're looking at two different paintings? That we cannot separate who we are, nor the experience that has brought us to this place, from our perception of what's in front of us. A picture on a museum wall, a symphony, a sunset, this particular class. However many people are listening to me right now, that would be the number of realities you see, I mean, the two of you, say two of you get together later in the day on the telephone and you say, did you hear Benner's Mystery School today? Yeah, I really liked it. Somebody else says, well, I thought it was okay, but I was disappointed that Michael didn't talk about this or that or the other thing. What's the point of arguing? What's the point, as so many couples do, especially in, in marriage, but the workplace and elsewhere, arguing over which reality is right and which reality is wrong. Right? Or we both go to see the same movie and we argue about whether it was a good movie or not. What's the point? Why do you need me to love your movie? Right? Or why do I need you to agree with me that it was a horrible movie? What difference does it make? The idea that we're even watching the same movie is absurd, on the surface. In fact, this speaks, I would argue, rather directly to the reason, the purpose, the meaning of existence. This speaks to the great existential questions of existence itself and why the universe is so diverse. Again, to challenge the religious people, if God is all-knowing, all-powerful, and everywhere equally present, then why does it need to create a physical dense reality, a creation, and populate that creation with creatures? Why does God need to create anything? Why does the Most High need to be also a creator? or a capital S, source of anything. If you were all-knowing, all-powerful, and omniscient, everywhere equally present, omnipresent, omniscient, and omnipotent, <laughs> omnipotent, why would you need to create anything? And again, a great philosophical question that's been posed since the beginning of time. And not an easy one to answer, but a simple good answer, I think, is for the experience 
that selective consciousness, that a particular point of view, that multiple points of view, bring to the totality of things. And so we should be honoring the diversity, respecting our own unique points of view, and respecting certainly the right of other people to disagree with you, to have their own subjective reality, even to the point of recognizing that there may not be anything objective about reality at all. It's just a series of agreements. It's very challenging. For many people, it's maddening. It's absolutely frustrating to have to deal with somebody like me that comes along and says, life is what you make it. That was the theme of our webinar last week. Life is what you make it. Life is an agreement. Reality is your perception. The perception is reality. We're assembling the world in our brains with very limited channels of information. The ears, for example, in a human being generally are sensitive only to vibrations between 40 cycles per second and 20,000 cycles per second. A vibration lower than 40 cycles, you might feel in your body, but you're not going to hear. The eardrum will not respond. Cycles higher than 20,000 cycles per second 20 kilohertz, 20,000 hertz, are too high for the human ear to perceive. So it doesn't exist. There is no reality. There is no sound above 20,000 cycles per second. Well, of course there's sound, starting with your basic dog whistle. You know, you blow into the dog whistle, you don't hear it, but the dog comes running from a half a mile away. The dog hears it. I'll never forget the first time I put on a a record. It goes back to the 70s. Had to have been the mid-1970s. I got my hands on a record of, um, I mean, a vinyl disc, a recording on vinyl of the songs of the humpback whale. And I put it on my record player, my stereo, turned it up, and the dog that I had at that time, a golden retriever named Rita, walked over like the RCA Victor dog, right? Sat in front of the speaker, cocked her head off to the side a bit, just like that RCA Victor dog, as if hearing a sound that she had never heard before. Well, I was listening to noise, too. The songs of Humpback Whale. And I know the stylus, the needle on the record player, and the ability of the amplifier was also limited. And yet I'm sure that my dog, my golden retriever, was hearing sounds from those whales that I could not hear. You see? Well, the same thing is true for each of your senses. 
your vision is limited in, in, in the same way. It just gives you a little sliver. There is light, infrared, that is too low for your eye to see, and light, ultraviolet and up, that is too high in frequency for your eye to see. And yet we have this, <laughs> we have this bias that if I can't see it, it's not real. Well, that's ridiculous. Or if I can't hear it, it must not have happened. Right? So not only are we assembling reality in our heads, like the holodeck or the matrix, seeing what we put our attention on, or seeing what other people want us to see, um, we're doing it largely unconsciously. Doreen likes to, my wife Doreen likes to talk about all of the hidden things that we do not see that are right in front of us. And she uses often as an example of this, the arrow and the FedEx sign. And I'm wondering, ask yourself, uh, use the comment form on the uh, computer webpage in front of you to let me know if you can. Have you ever seen the arrow and the FedEx sign? Uh, 99% of people will will have to admit, I'm sure, that no, they have never noticed that the white space that seems to be shining through the FedEx logo actually makes a perfect arrow pointed to the right, meaning forward, right? We read left to right, so an arrow that points to the right is pointing forward, and it carries subconsciously and subliminally the idea that we're going to carry your package forward. We are going to deliver it for you. And the arrow and the FedEx sign is a beautiful example, a very highly skilled example of the way subliminal or below the conscious threshold perception is used to influence people. Because <laughs> just because you're not aware of it doesn't mean it's not having an impact on the subconscious mind. This takes us to that whole genre of subliminal perception and subliminal advertising. And folks, this is very real. And the the belief that it's outlawed or or illegal subliminal advertising is a myth. I challenge anybody to find a law on the federal books that says anything about subliminal advertising or appealing to the subconscious below the threshold of awareness is in any way illegal. And if so, I'd love to know the fine. <clears throat> I'd, I'd like to see some cases where it was reviewed. It's a myth that this has been outlawed. You know, it goes back to the, uh, let me have a sip of my coffee here. I remember way back in the day, 60s, in the early 60s or mid-60s, there was a book that was so popular at the time by a fellow named Vance Packard, and it was called The Hidden Persuaders. For baby boomers in college in the 60s, this was seminal. This was a very important book, long before Future Shock by Toffler or Megatrends by John Nesbitt, Hidden Persuaders by Vance Packard, did a remarkable job of, of demonstrating to the reader how he or she 
had been manipulated and continues to be manipulated by appeals below the conscious threshold because and now here we are 40 years 50 years later and uh, people still are not aware of the fact that their conscious awareness is limited is selective and could if you chose to do so be expanded or like our initial example of walking into the mixer or the house party we could choose to shift our awareness consciously all right, to think like uh, an engineer one minute, uh, to think like a creative artist uh, another minute, to think like a poet, and then uh, think like, uh, I don't know, back to uh, the way a mathematician or, a, or an accountant or an engineer thinks. Um, in education, there's a fellow named Gardner that has, delineated or defined 11 different forms of intelligence multiple intelligence 11 different ways at least to look at the same thing and see something different in it again the examples I gave of the music in the sunset or sitting in the park perception gang is reality life is what you make it Marilyn Ferguson, the author of The Aquarian Conspiracy, who who passed on, unfortunately, just about six months ago. Marilyn Ferguson used to say, <coughs> we're all graduates of MSU, making stuff up. I even went to one of her workshops, and she passed out MSU T-shirts to everybody. We were all making stuff up. Honor that. Respect that. Work with that. Know that in any given situation, in any given situation, your initial perception is exceedingly limited by the brain. The physical organ that is the brain limits reality so that the brain can perceive it. And the way you're perceiving any given reality in any moment of your life through these little slices, tiny slices of information that are the physical senses is unique to you. Think about what you love in the people that you love. It's <laughs> it's what they bring to the table. It's their particular point of view living in the now, if I go back to the holodeck and the Matrix, the Matrix is a very nefarious storyline about how we're all being controlled by this reality. And that if you take the right color pill, it'll disrupt the programming that we've suffered and allow us to see the real reality. All right. The holodeck is a little different, if you remember that from Star Trek. You program the holodeck for whatever experience you want, and then you go in. But as I said before, two people or more going into the holodeck still, it's suggested, are having a very similar, if not the same, experience. Um, slightly, maybe, you know, I think most people would concede this to a limited degree. They'll say, well... You know, I can understand that if you're preoccupied, if you're worried about this or that, that 
you know, the, the Bruce Springsteen concert that you're going to have a somewhat different experience of it than, than I'm going to have. But, uh, you know, I, I'm saying this is big. This is huge. This is all-encompassing. And there is freedom and more awareness to be found. A very enriching um, potential here if we breathe or when we breathe, relax, unclutch, you know, detach, Take a step back uh, and become mindfully aware that I'm looking at a little sliver of reality here. Just a little piece of the picture. And I'm certainly not going to kill somebody, whether it's war or capital punishment, or aggravated assault. Certainly not drop bombs on people I've never even met because they view reality differently. And I know the mind. I understand how the rationalizing mind immediately jumps to self-defense. I mean, our Department of War is called the Department of Defense. It used to be called the Department of War. <laughs> and somebody decided in World War Two that that since well I'll just put it this way that there were benefits in 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 using a uh in cloaking the reality of war in this guise of self defense. So we do the most offensive military things in the name of defending ourselves. And so it's called the Department of Defense. But you're killing people who disagree with you is what it comes down to, even if they're not a threat, right? Nobody in Iraq ever threatened you. Nobody in North Vietnam ever did anything to you, or Guatemala, or Haiti, or Panama, or Nicaragua, or El Salvador, or any of the other wars we've fought in the last 20 people. A 20 year, listen to my Freudian slips, 20 people in the last 20, 30, 40 years, whatever. Tens of thousands, hundreds of thousands, millions of people murdered, killed, slaughtered, because they have a different point of view. And there's some implied threat that there's only one reality and they're out of touch. There's only one reality and it's yours. So bottom line here, we're all living in the holodeck. We're all living in the matrix. To whatever extent it's being done to you and you're brainwashed and programmed to see only what you want to see, that's the matrix. To whatever extent you participate consciously, semi-consciously, or unconsciously in the design of your perception of reality, that's the holodeck. And that's what Frank L. Baum tried to describe in Oz, in Dorothy's experience, or Lewis Carroll in Wonderland, as Dorothy goes down the rabbit hole, is the subjectivity of reality, just how malleable it really is. And so my appeal to you today is to wake up to that. By the way, see if you can find the arrow in the FedEx sign. Go to Google Images and type in FedEx and click on Images 
and see if you can find the arrow. I, I already gave you a big clue. It's white space shining through the logo that creates the arrow. So it's non-space or negative space that you have to shift your attention in that subtle little way to see what the brain perceives as not existing as the point, <laughs> uh, that which is truly existing. What does not exist in advertising, the white space, is as important as what goes uh, onto the page as content. The the pregnant pause, you know, I, I grew up with several heroes in radio, and, and one of them was Paul Harvey. He had this, I, I, I despised his politics, but as a broadcaster, I, I've always envied uh, the now late Paul Harvey for his mastery in communication, and, and in many ways, he's he was the master of the pregnant pause. Paul Harvey could communicate more with silence than with what he said, and the anticipation of what in radio we were always told was dead air. You know, avoid dead air. Just keep machine gunning your patter out there as if dead air is a bad. I mean. I hesitate sometimes to tell you that I'm going to pause here and have a sip of my coffee. You know, like, hold on a sec here. Hmm. I would never do that on the radio, right? Couldn't get away with that on the radio. <coughs> so, anyway, this excites me, and I guess you get a sense of how exciting it is because it as you begin to ponder it, it really broadens your horizons. It really opens you up to new ways of seeing. Uh, it is worthy of your reflection and your contemplation that you ponder new and different ways of looking at things that you've looked at many times before. And so I'm going to give you some homework. And then we'll go to your questions and comments on the web, and of course we'll do a visualization exercise here before we conclude the class today. But the homework I'd like to give you, uh, if you're a commuter, and if you drive to work and back, um, or you drive the kids to school or whatever, if you have a driving routine, of some sort that you do most every day. Your homework for this week is to go the same route that you've always gone. The idea of driving different routes will save for another show. That's another exercise. <laughs> I want you to continue to take the same route you've always taken, but I want you to wake up. I want you to look around you. Open your eyes, open your ears, and dedicate yourself. Now, this is not going to be easy even to remember to do it because the brain doesn't really want to remember to do this. It likes the comfort of seeing the same thing in the same way at the same time in the same place. All right? So, again, buckle up, Dorothy. Kansas is going bye-bye. That's a little scary, but... Here you are, you're a seeker, you're on the path, you're interested in personal empowerment, so here's your homework. Deliberately, on that way to or from work, that regular routine, I want you to look for things 
and listen for things and feel things, smell and taste that you don't usually notice or that maybe you've never even seen before until you become aware of the fact that perception is reality, that that same old drive that you think you know so well is nothing more than a handful of experiences that you selected and then fell into a rut of having the same experience as if there is some comfort or safety in perceiving your routine and your reality in the same way over and over and over again. Okay. You can do this same exercise in even a simpler way if you just pick up a common object, like reach into your pocket or your coin purse, find a penny, a nickel, a dime, or a quarter. Choose one coin. You can do this now. Choose one coin and pick it up and look at it like you've never seen this coin before. And already you've shifted. Did you feel it? Did you feel your head opening up? You haven't looked at a coin closely since you were in the second grade and the teacher laid the money out and said, this is a quarter, and this is a dime, and this is a nickel, and this is a penny. That was the last time I dare say, unless you're a coin collector, right? They look very carefully. They know what that little D means, what that little P on the coin means, right? Look at the edge, not just the heads and tails of the coin. Look at the edge on the quarter and compare it to the edge on the nickel. You see, it's not just what's imprinted. Feel the different feeling of the of the copper in the penny and the and the lead feeling, the almost oily feeling of the nickel as compared to the quarter. And if you are a coin collector you can you can think back to not that many years ago when a quarter felt a lot different than it does today because now the quarter is laminated material, layers of metals where it used to be solid. Or you can pick up a pencil or your favorite ballpoint pen and look at it right now with an open mind as if you've never seen a pencil before. Or this particular pen. I I don't think I've ever looked closely at this pen. Wake up. You're in the holodeck. Wake up. You've been living in the matrix. I'm not saying your purpose in life is to be an ever-ready battery. (laughs) I'm just saying, wake up. This is enlightenment. It's a destination. It's not a, uh, I'm sorry, it's a direction, not a destination. It's not a goal. It's a journey. Wake up to wake up. 
is a, is a process of expanding your awareness. And what a great place to begin. Right where you are, right now, looking around yourself at things you've never noticed in a very familiar place. Look at your computer, look at your telephone, look at the room in which you sit, the chair that you're sitting on, the floor, the rug, where the wall meets the, the, the ceiling. With new eyes, with expanded awareness. And then commit yourself to being a person who in your life always wants to find new subjective ways to look at what you've been carelessly writing off as objective reality. Now, this is a quality of democracy, I dare say, uh, doesn't get discussed all that often. Imagine how free, and li- you talk about liberty, how free, how much liberty and freedom do you get when you reject the idea that reality is objective and there's just one right reality about this, that, and the other thing, and maybe some things are objective but still are subjective, but still generally reality is uh, not perception, but reality is objective and measurable and, and real unto itself. You know that uh, famous philosophical riddle about if the tree falls in the forest and there's nobody there to hear it, did it really make a noise? Well, of course not. You know, of course not. There's nobody there to hear it. You could make an argument that the squirrel heard it, or as philosophers have said, well, God is always about on the quad, so God heard it. All right. All right, if those are your definitions. I heard the scientist Michio Kaku the other day say, well, there was no Big Bang. He says, first of all, it wasn't big, and secondly, if there was no atmosphere, no air, uh, no gases of molecules to carry the sound, because sound needs a medium, right, then it would have been a silent bang. The Big Bang was totally silent. And uh, I got a chuckle out of that, but we continue to call it the Big Bang. But these, this kind of thinking and these kinds of exercises can wake you up, and the practical benefits start with more choices in your life. This is this is this is the on ramp to the freeway of spiritual development to to develop consciousness to. To have higher consciousness or or expanded awareness, you have to have more choices, more permutations and and combinations and variations in the way you look at things. And you must cast off the yoke of oppression that objective reality confers upon us and take total responsibility for the way you perceive things. Don't worry about the karma of how you created the situation you're in. Take some responsibility for how you're looking at it now and what you're going to do with it. That's much more important than 
trying to find some responsibility and how did I create or contribute, that's advanced. That's like the last place to go. Start with responsibility for how am I looking at it now, and then take responsibility, the ability to choose your response, for what am I going to do with this situation that I'm now seeing with expanded vision, with new eyes, and then, maybe further on down the calendar page, if you want to take a look at how you got yourself into that situation, how you created or contributed that to, to the to the creation of that situation, fine. It's a it's a noble effort, but that's not the place to begin. The place to begin is not the past and not the future. Your point of power is now. That's what you have to deal with. Wake up now. All right. It's not wake up now to understand the past. Wake up now to plan the future. Let's let's. Let's wake up now and just sit right here, right now, in this moment. Gradually, like like the dawning of awareness of how limited our perception really is and how personal our subjective uh, view of reality is. And then start cutting your, your friends some slack for having a different point of view. What are the chances? that we could agree on any of this stuff, you see? So there you go. Let's, uh, again, encourage you, if you're listening live on the web, to use that submission page for questions or comments right at the bottom of the page you're looking at and include uh, your name, at least your first name, the city where you are, and I'll go to those. And then we'll save a little bit of time, it's about five after now, for a uh, quick guided imagery, guided meditation exercise too, as uh, our theme today is the matrix and the the holodeck, okay? Somebody ever says to you, boy, it'd be cool to have a holodeck, you can tell them you already have one, (laughs) you got one right now. All right, let's start in uh, Irvine with Robert, and uh, Robert's got several comments in here. He says, first of all, aloha to you and Doreen as always. A brilliant mind-expanding discussion. Thank you. And uh, thank you, Robert, for that. He says, here, let me blow this up a little. He says, though I have not ever noticed, but wow, there is, uh, or there it is, between the E and the X. Very cool observation. Thank you. And then a book that uh, Robert recommends, uh, which is also on my recommended reading list, is The Holographic Universe. And it goes into the holographic nature of the universe and our brains. even explains how psychics perceive events in the past and the future. The nature of OBEs, which I'm sure most of you know, out-of-body experiences. Stigmata, uh, bleeding and sympathy with the wounds of Christ all showing that there are realities which are greater than what we perceive with our five simple senses. And uh trying to remember the guy that wrote that book. I think it's Talbot, isn't it? Michael Talbot. I had dinner with him one night. Um, in fact, it was Michael. I was sitting with Marilyn Ferguson, Michael Talbot, who wrote The Holographic Universe, Timothy Leary, 
Fred Allen Wolf and a few others that I don't remember and didn't know at the time, but that was uh, that was an amazing meal. <laughs> I don't think I said a word all night when you're in a group like that. So they say anyway, Robert. Thanks for that. And I again, that's a great book, The Holographic Universe. Um, you know, the allegory of videotape is another interesting one. We talk about uh, spirits or haunting, um, hauntings in particular, poltergeist, that kind of thing. The idea that 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 we can leave that spirit or energy, the essence of who we are, can leave a magnetic imprint on the etheric nature of physical dense reality that could be rewound, stored, replayed, just like you watch a movie, an 8mm film, or a videotape from your childhood. And there you are, this little kid with when dad was pointing the videotape camera at you and here 20 years later you stick the videotape in and that mag magnetic field goes across the playback head and the reality excuse me the reality <clears throat> springs to life on the screen in front of you and you say look it's real no it's not real it's real enough it's a magnetic impression of something that was once real and then to consider that the holographic universe transcends time in the same way. Um, the magnetic nature of being able to store a reality on tape. Pretty cool. Good mind exercises. In Tucson, Lorelai is with us uh, again this week. Thank you, Lorelai. It's always nice to see you here. She says, Aloha, Michael. Uh, thanks for the assignment. I will turn it in on Sunday, and I want to remind everybody to honor Mother Earth in some small way on the 22nd of this month, 42209. Um, I'm pretty sure that's Earth Day. That's what Lorelai is talking about, is that uh, the 22nd of April is Earth Day. I think the first Earth Day was 1970, so what would that be, 38 years? 38 years ago, and because so few people have cared or paid attention, uh, we've just continued down the hill of uh, environmental destruction and, and degradation. Thanks for being there. Peace and love to you and Doreen. Thank you, Lorelai. Happy Earth Day to you. And in Apple Valley, Don is with us again this week, and he says, uh, thank you, Michael, and hola to all, and hello, and hola, Don, aloha to you too. Let's do our um, guided imagery exercise here, and then I'll let you guys go for this day. And thank you as always for being here, and remind you that you can turn your friends on to this, um, that the replay is always available. I have to apologize, I, part of the update of this is uh, after I send the email out and I, I post all of this information, I, I usually put a link on my website in advance 
of this webinar, and I failed to do that this week. It just, I just spaced it out. I got busy with other stuff. But when we finish up here in a few minutes, I'll go do that so that you'll be able to access today's program and all of the other programs we've ever done on my website simply. Even if you don't have the newsletter with the link that brought you here, you can always go to or send your friends to theagelesswisdom.com. Remember the T-H-E, the W's dot, theagelesswisdom.com. Then click on homepage to go inside, and you'll see all these navigation links on the left side. Click the one that says web teleconference. So theagelesswisdom.com, then click on homepage, then on web teleconference, and uh, you'll see them all there, except for today's, <laughs> and I'll do that uh, within the hour. All right. And be sure and use, again, the Send One to a Friend gadget. It's so important that we share these. These programs are free. Um, I do a lot of research. I'm here every Sunday. I, I put everything I can into these programs to make them absolutely free. There's another link that says Wisdom Nuggets. Those programs are absolutely free. We have more articles on our sister site, more Wisdom Nuggets, so to speak, under the link Free Stuff on our sister site, which is FocusedPassion.com. And if you have a mind to kick in $4 a month, 99 cents a week, uh, and be a contributor at Focused Passion, then we're happy to give you the bonus track, so-called the program that Steve and I do together every week, Finding Yourself in Paradise, some of the best stuff we've ever done. We're right now in the middle of a problem-solving and decision-making mini-series. And coming up this week on Finding Yourself in Paradise, a program on why we want what we want. And again, this is Steve and I going back and forth in Conversation. We call them compelling conversations and guided meditations. That's focusedpassion.com. There are six programs that are absolutely free, a bunch of other samples absolutely free. All the articles are free at focuspassion.com. But there is an opportunity to help sustain this work for 99 cents or more. We have a few angels who donate significant amounts of money to us. But it's the 99-cent contributor that is the bulk of our uh, financial support, pays the costs, uh, the broadband, and helps make all of this available. So 80% of it's free, 90% of it's free. If you can be a contributor, if you got $4 a month, you can kick our way. Uh, be a contributor and grow that collection of programs at Finding Yourself in Paradise. FocusedPassion.com, TheAgelessWisdom.com. Those are our two sites. Okay, so close your eyes. Take a nice, slow, deep breath. Get comfortable, provided this is a good time for you to close your eyes. And take a second or a third, nice, slow, deep breath. And as you exhale, begin to create and sense a feeling of relaxation. And after two or three slow, deep breaths, 
just turn breathing over to autopilot. And let your body breathe itself. And you watch your body breathing itself. Simply now, place your attention on the bottom of your nose. And watch your body breathe itself all by itself. Allowing my voice to guide you. And simply by orienting yourself to the sound of my voice, you can let go and become interested, dare I say even fascinated, by watching your breath moving into the nostrils at the very point on the bottom of your nose where breath enters and leaves the body. You, you don't want to follow the breath into the lungs and then out again. Stay gently, peacefully fixed on the bottom of your nose as an observer of the in-breath and the out-breath. As one who does not breathe, but merely witnesses the breathing. To do this as an exercise for 10 or 20 minutes every day and nothing else but watching the breath is an excellent way to expand your awareness to raise your consciousness, the awareness and the ethics and values that accrue naturally, that become more and more refined all by themselves. What you care about, what's important to you, what you love, what you value, naturally unfolds itself when you practice simply watching your breath if you did nothing else that would accelerate your growth as a sentient being gentle, kind loving compassionate Aloha. And think of yourself as if you were sitting in the center of a circle with reality dancing all around you. And your first responsibility is to choose a direction. As you sit in the center of the circle, you choose to face in one direction or another. And at any given time, you could turn and face in a different direction, but 
Our field of vision is, at most, half of that circle. At best, with your peripheral vision, so-called, you can see up to 180 degrees. The central field of vision will be maybe 45 degrees or so. And within that focus, that quarter of a pie slice, as you look ahead, in whatever direction you face, there are objects, there are forms. Ask yourself silently and internally, and wait for the response to bubble up. What am I attracted to? What do I see when I look in this direction? I see color. I see shapes. I see size. I see motion. I see direction. I see depth. I have perspective. And repeat the exercise for your ability to hear, for the auditory sense. What do I hear? What in my field of vision attracts me as sound? What do I hear? I hear loud noises. I hear gentle whispers. I hear familiar sounds. I hear sounds I've never heard before. I hear melody and harmony. <clears throat> I hear rhythm and patterns. And if you wish, in repeating this exercise, you can spend several minutes on each one of these senses. What do I see? What am I attracted to visually? What grabs my attention? What am I a sucker for in my field of vision? And as we've just done, repeat that then for an extended period of time around what you hear. What am I attracted to in terms of the sounds that I perceive, and then repeat for physical sense and sensation in your body. What do I feel in my body? How do I feel in my body? 
how does something feel to the touch? But beyond my ability to feel tactily, how does it feel in the body to be alive in this moment? How does your body feel? What is your energy level? Are there areas of concern in your body? And when your awareness itself comes to rest, when you are most familiar with your sense of self, of being, where does that consciousness reside? Is it in your head? Do you live in your head? Or is it somewhere else in your body, in your heart, in your belly, at the base of your spine? Could you move your awareness, your sense of self, to your feet? your toes, to the tip of your toes, can you exist, can you be aware of yourself as if you resided in the tips of your toes? Probably not. It's probably a challenge. Awareness wants to right now go back to where it's comfortable. Let it go. Where does it go? That's a choice you've made. It's become a habit. But it's a choice that you made. Say to yourself, I have choices. I can choose to be more aware. I can choose to be aware of that which I have overlooked in the past. I can wake up. That little exercise from a few minutes ago of looking at a pencil as if I had never seen a pencil before, looking carefully with an open mind, standing receptive, or looking at a coin out of my pocket, which I've used all my life, these pennies and nickels and dimes and quarters, and yet so quickly I see things about this money I've never really noticed before. What else am I overlooking? What else am I missing? And if your mind 
tells you, as I suspect it will at some point, if not already, if your mind says, we don't have time, then challenge that idea. What is time? Does time really march from the past through the present into the future? Or is it simply a pulse point, an eternal instant, with rhythm, but no time? A perpetual instant. that the past and the future rely upon for their relative meanings, relative only to the reality of now. Be aware, be awake, right here, right now. Wake up. You have more choices. And differences are not opposites. They're just differences. And diversity and variety is a beautiful thing. Wake up. I'd like you to make a commitment to yourself to do some sort of exercise like this every day this week, just for a week. Wake up in the way you drive especially those routine drives. Wake up with the types of simple exercises, looking at money or pencils or common everyday objects, something you love and care about and think you know so well. Go back later today and the next day and the day after that and look at it with new eyes. Wake up. Don't wait another day. to realize how much more there is to life than you've allowed yourself to see, to hear, to smell, and to taste, to feel. And with that commitment held gently in your hand, that you hold your commitment gently, an effortless determination. You take a slow, deep breath now. And as you exhale, you open your eyes wide awake and alert, refreshed, rested, and back in the room. <laughs>